<laughs> oh man, the pressures of being a podcast host. It's such a hard knock life. <laughs> it really is. I mean, talking to your best friend every week. For... My God, I wish I'd be doing anything else right now. Um, my favorite thing besides this is eating nails, rusty nails, <laughs> and um, my eyes being poked out by birds. Exactly my answer. How'd you know? Exactly. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Broken Art Podcast. My name is Adam, your co-host. And I'm Callie Medley, your other co-host. The Broken Art Podcast is where Callie and I talk about all things music, performing arts, theater, life, the pursuit of happiness, uh, the weather, and all with our amateur expertise. We just talk. We just talk. Callie, give me... uh, This is a leading question. Okay. Because I know exactly what the answer is. Okay. (laughs) And I've been, I think I've been more excited about this than you have been, like, the past, like, week and a half. I just don't know what you're trying to aim at. I'm, like, I'm trying to (laughs) pin down the question, because I've I've, I've, I've been trying to research it, right? And I'm, like, okay, success, like, is there a time limit? I just don't really, like, what are you going for? Oh, and you're jumping way. You're jumping way ahead. I'm talking oh. about a specific event. No, I am excited about this episode too. Oh, you I'm want me to about, brag? I want you to brag because you <laughs> wouldn't brag unless I asked you because you're a humble person by okay. trade, and that's what just okay. makes you so charming. Okay. So I'm. I, I I like to brag about my friend. I've told like so many people about this. Um, what you did. Um, are you serious no i'm so serious like are you kidding me like getting to do blank is really really okay, cool just spit it out okay. just go no you you i want you to say it. i want you to say it. oh my god okay well <laughs> will it kill you if you say it or you should no should I'll, say I'll say it i'll say it. are you sure are you ready oh my god this is torturous like just <laughs> freaking say it okay Yesterday, so yesterday I got to have an amazing opportunity um, through Open Jar Institute, which is a part of the residency program that I did in the fall. The director of that program contacted me and asked me if I wanted to do a virtual masterclass with Broadway's best, Joanna Gleason. Uh, And so we... Can me. we insert applaud right there? No, applaud. no absolutely Fine, then not. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yay, my friend did a thing. Hooray. Um, so we, uh, Jeff Whiting is his name. He's the founder of Open Jar Institute uh, and also just founded Open Jar Studios a little over a year ago, which is a rehearsal space in New York City. It's big and beautiful and modern and I think the best rehearsal space in New York City right now. Um, So we had, and actually our residency program in the fall was the first residency to be at Open Jar Studios. So that was kind of a a good inauguration thing for us. Um, But anyway, so 
myself and another uh, girl, her name is Pascal, we were emailed like a week ago and we're just like, hey, uh, we're going to try out this thing for an Open Jar Institute-esque online kind of like hybrid. Uh, would you like to do a masterclass? Um, you know, pick out some songs, you'd be great. And it was the first time that I'd been there since, oh my God, since late February, early March at least. Mm. Um, and it felt so nice to be back there and to see the workers that I knew, uh, Don and David, um, it was amazing to see Jeff. So what we did was we went into one of the rehearsal studios and there was a computer set up. Uh, we had Jesse as our accompanist. I forget his last name, forgive me, but, uh, he's amazing. Um, and so it was Jeff, Pascal, me, and the accompanist, Jesse, in the room. And there was a computer set up with Joanna and all these other kids and, and people who had paid to, do, to be a part of a, a three-day-long Open Jar Institute intensive. And so oh. they, yeah, and so they were paying to watch, you know, Joanna do this masterclass with us and to ask questions to Joanna and everything like that. She's like, okay, we're going to do um, no one else and not a day goes by. Oh like, my gosh. You know, I love those songs. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> She God. did it because she knew that you would want to know. I she remember actually the first song I think that I accompanied you for was no one else. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. We were in the small little practice room. Mm -hmm. Yes, I. oh, that's such a special memory in my heart. So she picked it because she knew. Okay, sorry, continue. Yeah, she knew you. She got Gibby vibes. <laughs> yeah, she did. Gibby uh, vibes hundreds of miles away. Yeah. Um, so we sang through no one else first, and, uh, you know, she gave me a lot of good notes. It was so foreign to me to be in a space that big again. Mm. because I'm so used to performing for a camera now and performing for a Zoom class and, you know, doing all these self-tapes that are just so mm -hmm. close. You have to really dial it down. And sure. so to be able to have a huge rehearsal space to fill up, it took me like one or two tries to finally kind of get that. Like she had me back up like five huge steps so that my little image on the computer was teeny tiny. Yeah. And she was like, fill up the room, just fill up the space. And it, it felt like she asked me how it felt afterwards. And I was like, it felt um, theatrical. Like, <laughs> just like <laughs> duh, it's supposed to. <laughs> yes. Um, but it, it's, it was, it was amazing. And one thing I really loved is when she went into not a day goes by, she, I, I maybe got through like the first line and then she's like, okay, stop. We're going to do it again. And I, I want you to go to the mirrors, the wall of mirrors. And I want you to write a huge letter. I want you to write a letter on the mirror, go up and down, use the whole wall. And so I did that and I was writing, you know, some of the key lyrics of that song uh, in my, my so-called letter. Um, and that exercise, I never had done something like that before, but that exercise in particular 
made me release all of this tension and all of this energy that I had been barricading myself in my acting and to just be able to write it out and like take the song's anger and you know hopefulness but bittersweet and just like express that all it was like it was it was for the character's sake it was therapeutic and it it released an element of that song and of that character and what that song means for me it was brilliant that's so cool oh Mm -hmm. my gosh oh Mm -hmm. my gosh that's so awesome yeah and uh and i want to also mention um so yeah she, she we did the uh the master class and you know the session ended and and everything like that afterwards um at the open jar institute they have cultivated a program called the broadway relief project and mm-hmm. over the course of quarantine they have produced i i think like 46,000 some uh, PPE that they have constructed by hand in their studios, in their large studios. For those of us who don't know, what is a PPE? PPE stands for Personal Protective Equipment. So that means gowns, that means gloves, that means, you know, all these things that these essential workers need. Um, And so they've turned their rehearsal studios into a sort of makeshift factory to just ship out these boxes to all these New York hospitals. Um, wow. Yeah, and it's been That's really amazing. Awesome. And recently they've uh, <laughs> entered production for what they're calling the singer's mask. And so it's like a regular mask, but it's like shelved outwards. And so you have like space to like move your lips and to sing and like to do all that juicy stuff. It's, uh-huh. It is quite interesting. I'm, uh, I just got a sign-up uh, slot for, uh, I'm going to be working there tomorrow from 9 to 6. And oh, so fun. I'm so excited to, like, help them out with that. Um, but just, like, we got to go in there after the master class and, and kind of check out the factory and see what it's about. And, I mean, these people are volunteering their time and their talents. It's a lot of uh, costume designers who are, are doing it. Um, but it's just amazing to see a place that I personally can call home also like being turned into something that's so giving and is so selfless. And it's mm. just, it's, it's an amazing program and it's run by amazing people. And I'm just so grateful that I feel like I can be a part of that. And I feel like I can, uh, you know, call these people my family. What an awesome experience. Thank you for telling me and the world that because I just, oh, I'm so happy for you. That's so great. So want to get into the episode? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So today we are going to discuss our society's obsession with success, or at least what our society defines as success. We're going to chat about our own experiences with success, imposter syndrome, the fear of failure, and the impossible task of fitting into the mold of other people. Mm. So I, I left this very, very broad. It was my turn to pick an episode topic. And I want it to be as broad as possible so because well, obviously because of the podcast, we're going to be really focusing 
on the performing arts, but I think this is such a generational and societal thing that this can apply to um, everyone. I, I honestly think that. So a couple questions to start us out. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this is, is going to be very personal for both of us. Not too much. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, do you feel successful? Um, hmm. I think I do, but I don't recognize it. I never, I never recognize my own successes in the way that they should be credited because they're not up to my standard, which we can talk about later. Mm -hmm. Definitely. How do you, how do you feel about it? That's great. Um, I honestly, and I think so many people can a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. Like, I feel like I, I have accomplishments but I haven't reached the level of success that I want to be at, mm -hmm. you know, because um, we'll get into this later about what society and what other people have defined as this is what it means to be successful. This is the version of what success looks like, you know, we're always trying to live up to that standard. But anyway, next question. Um, what was the idea of success that was told to you growing up? Like, did, like a teacher or a parent or a family member or anyone, what did they say to you that was like, this is what you need to do to be successful or this is what success looks like? And did that have any bearing on you for the rest of your life at all? <laughs> a few things <laughs> come to my mind. And one of them being our choir's slogan in high school. Und hashtag undefeated. Hashtag undefeated. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, as corny as it is, strive for, for, strive for perfection, achieve excellence. Mm. And so I think, I think I've, I, I kind of always had that mindset. I think I've always been a perfectionist and I've always been my worst critic. Um, but you know, it, 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 for me, it was kind of that like OCD, I guess. I guess maybe I, I, I made it to be more of an unhealthy thing than, than what the quote actually means. Um, mm -hmm. but, but it is, it's, it's that you, you strive for perfection. You work your butt off. You are humble. Um, you don't take anything for granted and you don't put yourself above anyone else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just, you you recognize your luck and you recognize uh your passion and you just keep going i i think um i i think it wasn't necessarily directly told to me but i think uh you know being a theater kid it's always been like oh i would love to be on broadway um and i think what my parents have kind of cultivated for me it, it was kind of hard I'm not going to say hard, I guess, but it, it was a little tricky in the beginning when I was telling them that I wanted to do this with my life because they, they would, you know, inevitably tell me you need a backup plan, you know, just, yeah. you know, it's really hard. It's really hard. And I, I, uh, that would kind of bring me down. I, I hated hearing that yeah. um, because I knew that I could do it, you know? Um, but so it, it was kind of the balance of, be on Broadway, uh, strive for perfection, um, 
know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think really at the end of the day, the biggest token of what success means is just making a living doing what you love. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's been uh, probably the, the best token of advice that I've, I've received that I've kind of associated with uh, success. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. That, that's, um, I, I just think that's so great that um, in reading things, I'm going to be going through a couple articles here that I found that, um, you know, people's idea of success kind of branches off into two ways. Like we have those that people, some people that think um, like I can never be comfortable. I can never be comfortable. If I'm comfortable, that means I'm complacent. If I'm complacent, that means I'm being lazy. If I'm being lazy, I'm not doing my best. I 100% identify with that. Oh, totally, 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 totally. And then we have, but then we have that little nugget inside of us always, or that people say to us is like, as long as you're happy, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it stems from... the idea or what people say of follow your dreams, you know, and I, and I think we should, and I think we should follow our dreams and what we want to do, but we also need to take stock of your dreams will not look like anyone else's dreams. And if you're striving for a specific thing or what you think is a track for a specific thing. You're not, you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to win that race. There's going to be so much insecurity. And I can say that from experience, you know, I was, um, I was listening to mass a few weeks ago and the father came up, um, a member of our diocese and he read this quote. Um, and it had to do with only 20% of people who go to college, um, actually go into their field. Mm-hmm. like there's specific major only 20 percent and i i just think that that's so mind-boggling another question for you do you often compare yourself to others yes 100 yes. percent, right is it productive no absolutely well so okay the, yeah go for it <laughs> go for it uh what you were just talking about um, reminded me of like this, I I just, I'm my own worst critic and I feel like I'm starting to have a healthier relationship with comparing myself to others because it used to be very, very vicious. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to, that used to be my metric of how, of my own worth Mm -hmm. is how I'm doing compared to someone else and it would be the most unfair comparison someone 20 years my elder Uh you know like like someone with so much more experience or someone who started when they were four years old like professionally right and I would be like well we're the same age so why aren't I doing what they're doing oh my gosh so this is something we've been friends for you know over you know seven eight years at this point and I've I think I, you know, I bring this up all the time is that that feeling of playing catch up, right? 
Like you always feel so far behind and you get to a point where you've achieved a lot. You've achieved a lot and you have made a lot of success for yourself in a certain area. But then the moment you turn your head and see someone else who's just a couple inches ahead of you, right? Then that turns into, oh crap, I'm, I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. I haven't which done is, enough. Which is exactly why we never recognize our successes. We never give no. them full credit because we're not worried about those. We're worried about who's doing better than we are now. Yes. And that, that transitions uh, perfectly into this first article I found from um, psychologytoday.com. Uh, this was written by Dr. Guy Winch. And his article was called 10 Signs That You Might Have Fear of Failure. And then I under- already feel <laughs> added. Hi. <laughs> And there's this great quote that he leads with. Um, Everyone hates to fail, but for some people, failing presents such a significant psychological threat. Their motivation to avoid failure exceeds their motivation to succeed. This fear of failure causes them to unconsciously sabotage their chances of success in a variety of ways. And then it goes, yeah, (laughs) what? (laughs) Oh my Not God. Me. <laughs> no, I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> I No, that's the thing though. Like oh, I, really? yeah, yeah. my, especially being on the Island of Manhattan, it's motivated me because I feel like everyone's just going out doing it. Everyone's mm-hmm. chasing after their thing. And so, you know, especially like the rent and like everything like that, like working these minimum wage jobs, like, that fear of living that life for the rest of my life makes mm-hmm. me want to pursue theater even more like die hard than I already was. A hundred percent. And you're saying that's a bad thing? <laughs> I, I'm just, you know, by, for this article, I think there's the motivation, like the motivation to like, the, the motivation of that fear of failure you know is so intensely strong and it motivates so much of what we do in our culture um you know a big thing for me was that you know uh, my family my family background you know there's a good you know mix of people that went to college and then there's a good majority of people that didn't go to college and stuff and for me growing up you know it was a big thing um for my parents that they wanted me to go to college um, because that they, and that wasn't necessarily bad for them to push that on me. And I'm, and I'm very grateful for it. Um, But then I started to compare my self worth to getting to college. Okay. So then I finally got to college. All right. So now I'm, I'm in this completely different environment and I'm seeing all these people that made it to college as well, right? And so you're, you're kind of doing this uh, pyramid of people. It was like, okay, I'm here. Now I have to be, I have to be better. And I think that's what people try to push on us. It's not good enough to be good. You have to be better. And that's where the unhealthiness lies, I think. Mm-hmm. That you shouldn't you know, people say this all the time, you shouldn't dictate your self-worth by 
someone else. You know, other people, and this is a great uh, quote, I can't remember who it was from, but your, uh, but someone else's success is not your failures. Yeah. And that, and that sticks with me all the time. Do I remember it all the time? No way in heck. I'm so insecure about what I do. Yeah. You know, it's hard to conceive, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you know, that you should be thinking that way and you know that it's, that's, but it feels idealistic when you're so already bogged down and already have cultivated this sort of expectation of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and he uh, goes on in this article to list, um, here's just some of the things that he listed about the 10 signs you might have um, if you're a failure. Um, you constantly worry about what other people think. Um, you have the pressure to constantly outdo yourself. Um, you under, and this is something that I do all the time is I underplay myself in front of others, right? So I kind of ball them with low expectations, not because I'm going to like, huh, I can't wait to impress them, but it's like, I don't want you to think that I'm something better than I am. And well, and you don't believe it necessarily either, right? Like you don't, you don't be- necessarily believe that you're like this big, like big deal. You don't believe that right. you're this expert. And so you're, mm-hmm. you're literally putting that lack of self-worth onto their expectations of you. Mm-hmm. And I think and there's this like this weird little mental exercise that happens there, at least on my end of things, where, you know, uh, one side of my brain is like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm really good at this. I have accomplished so much. Um, I'm putting, this is such a great product. I'm so proud of myself. And this is what we're going to get into later with imposter syndrome, which I, I just find that concept so interesting. And there are like, like five different categories for imposter syndrome too which we'll get into later. Um, Other things that Dr. Winch talks about is (laughs) you you get distracted by other tasks that in actuality may not be as important. Yes, Yes. I do this all the time. (laughs) I mean, isn't that just procrastination though? But- And then the next thing is procrastination. Okay, okay, okay. As well. Because, Uh Because there is like this like avoidance like you're you're so anxious about doing it right or or anything like when i was preparing for joanna i found myself instead of like spending time singing i would like do everything i possibly could first i would clean my room i would make dinner i would mm-hmm. you know uh do some computer work like i i would try to find things until i literally had to kick myself and just be like just sing, Callie, just do it. Do the and, thing that you're supposed to do. Right. And, Cause I wanted to do such a good job, but at the same time, there was that anxiety behind it of like, Oh God, like this is a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, something I'm going to get into later. I did some interviews with some friends and colleagues of mine. And one of those things that popped up was this idea of being a workaholic like that you have to work yourself to the bone and that can be thought about in two ways 
One, it can be say, oh, if I'm not doing something, I'm lazy. And then also I'm going to do all of these things and I'll get to this thing that's making my life crazy right now, later. That's, I've, heck, I've been doing it like this week as well with something else I'm supposed to be doing. Um, just because you don't want to be bad at the big thing. So let's be good at the small things. Mm -hmm. And in our minds, it's like, oh, that will make the other thing less bad. And then you get to it, it's like, oh, crap. Right. I should have been doing this the whole time. Right. You know? Do you consider yourself a workaholic? To the bone. To yeah. the bone. And I, the thing is, I used to take pride in that. There's a lot of people in my life who are listening to this. Um who have been like, who have had the workaholic conversation with me many times. Mm -hmm. Because on one hand, it's kind of like seen as a source of pride, right? Oh, he's such a hard worker. You know, he has such great work ethic, all these things. But at what cost? You know, I kind of think back on my time in college and I'm like, gosh, I wish I would have been okay with getting a B in that class yeah yeah I wish and that's not me bragging that's some honest regret right there of being like oh my gosh I wish I would have just cared slightly less about this so I could enjoy time with my friends because I felt like if I wasn't doing this one thing if I was average then that was a bad thing. And I know now that that's not a healthy way of thinking. Mm -hmm. You can't be magnificent or great in everything like people project or people display on social media that they are, right? That they are perfect and great at everything. That's not true and that's not realistic. We project that on social media. We do. Um, I, think, I think it's great when people... Um, post something about like insecurities but that's so rare and but i i think it, i think it's so needed so i i just think back on it all i'm just like gosh i could have gone to this party or i could have you know had lunch with my friends if i would have been okay with getting a c in that class getting a b in that class you know mm-hmm it's yeah. so crazy. I and I, I definitely felt that pressure in school uh, <clears throat> with all of the upper level courses. And I mean, I did it all. I was in all the upper level courses. I was in sports. I was in choir. I was in madrigals. I was in musicals. Uh, but I did feel that pressure in school. Just, uh, you know, all of my friends, all the people who I looked up to, I guess, because I would always demean myself and compare myself, mm -hmm. all these people who were colleagues of mine that I respected were in these classes and were, you know, so I, I made myself work harder and hard, like harder than I thought that I ever could. And I just mm -hmm. always, like, I, I remember, um, just like getting to like a, a, the highest math or whatever. And I would get like C's and D's. And like, I think I got like a couple F's on some tests and it wrecked me. It mm -hmm. absolutely wrecked me. I would, I think we had like one or two retakes and you could get half 
of the letter grade back. So if you got an F, the highest you could get was like a C. Mm -hmm. um, and if you like fixed your mistakes and I just would just like drown myself over that and trying to mm -hmm. do that. And then even uh, for hanging out with friends, I had some, uh, you know, friendship time and I, I definitely had a lot of friends, but my main core of people were these three girls that I started an acapella group with that we oh, would yeah. sing out in the community with. Mm -hmm. And so my, the, the people that I felt that I got the closest to that, that I felt knew me the best were still a product of me trying to cultivate some sort of work and something mm -hmm. to do. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, it's, in a certain extent followed me here and in some ways it's good because that's really great for networking purposes and getting to meet mm -hmm. new people um but you know it you want to also have that 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 group of people that you don't have to do that with that you can just be and that you yeah. can just share that time with and you don't have to work and you don't have to impress them and you can talk about <laughs> your insecurities with yeah i think um we, we, we always kind of need to check ourselves of like wanting to do every opportunity and being the uh, yes person, you know, being the who's going to say yes to this. We have this new thing. All right, I'm in. I'll do it. Wait, what is it about? Y you mm -hmm. know, just putting ourselves out there because in this business, it, it's so important to network. It's everything, if not the thing. To network. I mean, obviously there there's talent there, and we'll get we'll get into. I have some things about luck later that I want to talk about. Um, but you know, we need to draw a line, and I think everyone needs to do this. With um, you can have friends that are both networky friends, and then and also just friends friends. But you also need to separate work from life. That is something that I've had such a difficult time with is, you know, I'm now starting to realize that some, you shouldn't bring your work home sometimes. Yeah. Obviously sometimes that's unavoidable. You know, if you have a deadline or whatever you have to, sometimes you can't just get everything done within that eight, seven, eight hour work day. Um, but home should be a time for, relaxing and um, being one with yourself and hanging out with your friends. You know, you shouldn't like talk about work all the time with your friends, you know, talk about other things. I mean, this isn't a life advice podcast. I'm just saying this is what's happened in my life. And it's good that I have friends and social networks um, that are outside of work. And I love my work people. So much. I, I, lo I absolutely love the people that I work with. Um, but you need to separate that sometimes. Also, your life does get consumed by that. And you're always thinking about work. And you're always comparing yourself to others. Um, and so that's where I kind of segues into this another great article that I found um, by Melanie Curtin. Um, she wrote this on Inc.com. And this article is called Why Millennials Should Stop Trying to Be Successful Immediately. 67, 
and I'm quoting from the article, 67% of them said they felt extreme pressure to exceed compared to 40% of Gen Xers and 23% of boomers. So we're on the, we're on the tail end of millennials slash the very beginning of Gen Xers. We Gen are. Z. Gen, Gen Zs, yes. Uh, yeah, we're Gen like Z. the weird, like gray area that's like not really either. It's yes, it's very interesting. Um, and there's this just another great quote that you know she said from her own personal experience. When she says uh, they hadn't done enough yet, and time was running out, and that's in reference to exiting your thirties. I yes. mean, exiting your twenties and going into your thirties. Yes. I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember uh, this past New Year's, I was so excited and I felt such you like a euphoric feeling because this was the start of a new decade. I had mm-hmm. just entered my 20s and I knew, I literally said out loud as we were toasting, I was like, this is such an amazing New Year's because this is the start of our working years over the next decade. These are our like prime uh, years to like be uh, successful, uh, <laughs> but like, to- like totally, I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, I remember when, when I turned 21 and stuff, um, it, it was great. You know, you get, you know, you get to do like adult things when you're 21. I don't need to spell it out for people. Um, but I remember waking up when I was my 21st birthday and feeling that I never felt more like a child in my entire life. Mm. And then also feeling like, Oh my gosh, I only have nine years left to do something with my life. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, because we always compare ourselves to the prodigies. We always compare ourselves to the people who started I don't know, playing piano when they're three years old and won the Shostakovich competition when they were seven. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's crazy. And so I wanted, I talked to some friends and colleagues and I interviewed them a little bit about some things about their feelings of success and where they are right now. These are people who are in their mid, um, early 20s right now. Well, my friend, um, she said um, she had a lot of, pressure going to college because she was going to be a first generation college student she was always told to follow your dreams um she felt like people were pressuring her um to a need to get a master's degree after that Mm -hmm. Um, and she has a lot of college regret you know she has a lot of debt she could have started working right away she could have took some time off but that pressure of getting started right away so now she has a lot of aversion uh, an aversion to like dependency and she wants to be independent um and so she's just willing to do anything to be independent at that point and she she made this turn in her life where now she wants to strive to be happier Mm, i love that you know strive to be happier and then just thinking about the amount of like regret that she has going to college and her saying just now I just want to be happier. Wow. Like that, 
like her chasing her dreams and the expectations that people put on her, that didn't make her happy. Now, like I'm, uh, she has a, a lot of happiness and she's a dear friend of mine. She, she's done so many great things, but her saying that she strives to be happy, I think that's just so beautiful and also almost not, maybe not depressing, but kind of dumbfounding. Like, wait, you working your butt off and blood, sweat and tears to make this happen didn't make you as happy as you thought you would? Isn't that, mm-hmm. isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Um, that really made my jaw drop to the floor a little bit. Um, I had another friend I talked about, um, such a high standard put on academia um, and that's what you needed to be like a good and functional person in the world um, and we know that's not true you don't have to go to college to be successful yeah you know <laughs> take it take it from me well I'm still working at it I hope to <laughs> I hope to keep to my word but uh, a first same basis with Joanna Gleason <laughs> again not recognizing it it's it's such a bad problem but you know i i left school after three semesters um and i decided to pack up and come to new york luckily i happened to also get open jar institute but i still would have come to new york regardless that fall Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and so again it's it's like you have to if you have to recognize, I remember, uh, this is actually a great time to talk about my college experience. I, I, I recognized that it wasn't the experience that I wanted. Um, I wasn't being challenged in the certain ways that I felt like I needed to be challenged mm-hmm. and the environment itself and how the program was run had a lot of toxicity in it and mm-hmm. I didn't I, I I had been consumed by it I I had fallen victim to it and had started to believe those sorts of things that were kind of this is the way things are done and this is what you have to do to get ahead mm-hmm. and I went on a solo drive uh just because I was really distraught and I couldn't figure out what it was and I started bawling my eyes out uh, as I was talking to myself and saying what I was just feeling out loud. And I just realized that my heart wasn't there. I wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. Um, I had felt so lost in my life and who I was as a performer. Um, I didn't feel like I was being taught how to act. And I didn't feel like I was being valued there as a Mm -hmm. person you know, um, right. And I was just like, why can't I just go out there and do it out there? Meaning New York, why can't I just learn from working and learn by experiencing it instead of paying all this money to be unhappy for four years? Mm-hmm. And I, I say all of this not to demean my experience, well, not to demean the school, but it, it was just my specific relationship to the school mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily any particular person or any person that I met there. Everyone who is, who that I went to school with, I 
loved dearly, but mm -hmm. the experience itself and how the program was, was not, it was not a healthy relationship to me. And mm -hmm. so I had to make that decision for myself. And, and once I said that out loud, you know, why can't I just go out and do it? Mm -hmm. It was like my whole world changed. Right. I was, it, it was like something cleared for me. And, and I ultimately decided I need to just go out there and as stubborn as I am, <laughs> I just need to do it and see if it's something happens. And so, you know, here yeah. I am and, and the stars aligned and, and I've accomplished a great many things, but you know, I'm still on that battle uh, with my own mental health of like, Am I doing enough? Am I doing it right? Uh, am I wasting my time? All those sorts of things. And there, and there's again, we're going back to that societal bias of demeaning not seeking higher education, um, especially with within um, the more left leaning liberal um, community. Um, at times, um, white. Yeah, you know, I mean, we have. Um, a lot of statistics about white educated people um that's something i won't get into that's for political analysts to get into which i am not but i remember you telling me that and i you know i think i was very honest i tried to be honest with you um i, I was i was like i was afraid mm -hmm. i was like what are you doing i mean we grew up in you know medium size midwestern town city city town place and that that was you know and before moving there i grew up in an even smaller minnesota town right and so my view on that was directly influenced what you're gonna go out of what's safe what are you doing are you nuts what's happening um but seeing you so happy about that and making that choice and that goes back to what my friend um mentioned strive to be happier yes and i'm you know, just think about how afraid I was. And, you know, I had to go through my own personal life things before I was like, oh my gosh, what um, one amazing thing to do. And, it, and this was something that um, we talked about with our conversation with Brett. I'm not sure it was in the recording, but you mentioned that you were um, a New York artist and stuff. And he was like, gosh, isn't that the dream? And I was just like, oh my gosh, yeah, it is. And it is a dream. Don't you always, you could just pack up and just do the thing and, you know, have master classes with Joanna Gleason for crying out loud? I do. I feel for the first time in my life, like I can finally bloom to be my fullest authentic self. And mm -hmm. I'm finding that every day. I'm still, I'm not perfect. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I still don't mm -hmm. know exactly who I am, but I do have a really good sense of it. And, and I, I'm really finding my voice here and that happiness has mm -hmm. finally become mine. And I would not have been able mm -hmm. to do that had I not taken that chance on myself. You took ownership of your happiness. I think that's the big thing. Yes. Of not what other people expected or wanted you to do what they thought was you, but what you knew that you needed to do. And you didn't try to suppress that. Um, I think it's important to realize that, yeah, college is a, a great thing for a lot of people. College has been great for me because I've 
was able to have experiences that suited me and my needs. But that isn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. And as when people start to take ownership of their happiness and what will make them happy, not what will make other people happy, that's when you can really and truly be free to be an artist. Um, you know, I, I, I worry so much about how I can make other people happy. I'm a people person. That's why I'm going to be a teacher. That's why I like working on productions because I get to work with people literally all the time. My job is to be good at teamwork mm-hmm. and make sure that the cogs in the machine are running and that not only are we efficient, but we're also happy while we're doing it. Mm-hmm. But the inverse of that is I, this, uh, uh, so many people can relate with this, I'm sure, of I have to make sacrifices for other people's happiness. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the, uh, okay, this person wants one thing and I want this thing. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it. Da, 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 da. Oh no, maybe they are right. Maybe they are right. I'll, I'll, I'll have this one. Let them have this one. And then the next time it happens, like, oh, maybe they're right, you know. Um, and then you can never really believe that you have your own merits, right? Mm-hmm. That it's just luck is just a hundred percent luck and you don't deserve to be there but everybody else has worked hard enough for that is this segueing into imposter syndrome yes imposter syndrome is real here's how to deal with it a new york times article written by abigail abrams i'm sorry not new york times just a times article not just a times article times is a very important magazine and news outlet we care about you a lot Um, imposter syndrome was something that I did not know about, I think until, I think it was as early, late as last year was the first time that I found out what imposter syndrome was. Really? And then I heard about it and I was like, whoa, that's me. (laughs) Where did that come from? Um, because it's all, for those of you who don't know, it's, you think you're a fraud. You think you're a fraud and you think you, you don't deserve the accomplishments that you've made or the praise that you're getting from other people. Um, and you think that you got there just by luck and not being your true self and skills be darned, you know, that that's what it is. Um, and God, gosh, when I realized this term and like there was an actual word for it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is me. I don't feel like I've, or I think it's just, oh, I sh- oh man, I, I'm a schmooze. I'm just good with people. <laughs> like you can't do what I do just by schmooze. When you take a step back, mm-hmm. like when you get outside of yourself and be like, oh, he couldn't do this just by being good with people. Like there has to be skill there. I remember um, a, a dear friend, a, a friend of mine who um, uh, much older than me is an opera singer um, in Germany, has been for 20, uh, 30 years at this point, Billy, uh, Billy Satry. Hmm. Um, you know, he, he brought up an excellent point about 
skill is important in the business. Like you can't get anywhere without skill, but luck is such a huge thing. Yeah. And, and that is very important and that's very, very true, but it's not a hundred percent luck. Like some of us would interpret that. Yeah. It's not a hundred percent luck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I totally have imposter syndrome. I mean, perfect example. Like I always doubt how I got the thing. I mm-hmm. always doubt how I got the thing. When I got open jar, uh, the residency program, I was supposed to supposedly supposed to like have find out if I got in in October. And I didn't find out that I got in until April. And so that's right. Yeah. And so I, I was, oh I was so grateful that I got in, but I was also like, oh, well, you know, someone must have not been able to do it. I must have just mm. been like a replacement. And same thing with this Joanna Gleason thing. It was like, oh, well, it was six days before, you know, I'm sure I was just like a replacement. They needed someone last minute or like mm-hmm. they already went down the list and everybody else was out of New York and I was the only one. And the one dead there. horse was already buried. So yeah, like just on and on, and on yeah. and on and on. Just making up excuses and not just being like, what if you're just good and they thought of you? Wait, that's not something. That's not something real, is it? That can't be true, right? That can't be true. No. (laughs) Um, And okay, so I'm about to pull more wigs right now. Um, In this Times article, um, there's an imposter syndrome expert. Fun fact. (laughs) Her name is uh, Valerie Medley. Her name is Kelly Medley. (laughs) Um, Her research assistant is Adam. Um, But there's this expert named Valerie Young, who is um, the author of this, of a book called The Secret Thoughts of a Successful Woman. And she found that there are like different patterns of people um, who experience um, imposter syndrome. So I'm going to be quoting this article and listing some of the things there. Um, So first one, perfectionists set extremely high expectations for themselves. And even if they meet 99% of their goals, they're going to feel like failures. Any small mistake will make them question their own competence. Next we have the experts. They feel like they need to know every piece of information before they start a project and constantly look for certifications or trainings to improve their skills. They won't apply for a job if they don't meet all the criteria in the postings. And they might be hesitant to ask uh, a question in class or speak up in a meeting at work because they're afraid of looking stupid if they don't already know the answer. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, right. Um, Then we have the natural genius. When the natural genius has to struggle or work hard to accomplish something, he or she thinks this means they aren't good enough. They are used to skills coming easily. And when they have to put in effort, their brain tells them that's proof they're an imposter. Wow. Yeah, right. Next, the soloist. Soloist feels they, soloist feel they have to accomplish tasks on their own. And if they need to ask for help, they think that means they're a failure or a fraud. And finally, Superman or superwoman, or I'm going to call them super people, 
push themselves to work harder than those around them to prove they're not imposters. They feel the need to succeed in all aspects of life, at work, as parents, as partners, and may feel stressed, excuse me, and, and may feel stressed when they are not accomplishing something. That's me. I had to lay back on my couch for a little bit when I read that. <laughs> yeah, I identify with one and five, I think. You identify. I think I'm definitely super person or um, I don't, I'm not a fan of the nomenclature natural genius, um, but I think like pe- preferential skills, like you're really good at something. Like I'm really good at certain things. And if there's things I'm not really good at, insecure the world's on fire so the nomenclature natural genius and super person is where i'm like okay i've definitely experienced that in my life and then so you know further on the article they ask okay how does that get there some and i'm quoting again sometimes childhood memories such as feelings that your grades were never good enough for your parents or that your siblings outshone you in certain areas can leave a lasting impact People often internalize these ideas that in order to be loved or lovable, I need to achieve, says Irvin. It becomes a self-perpetuating cycle, which leads all the way back to the, what we think is the idea for success. Yes, absolutely. Because we compare ourselves, um, we hold ourselves to these unrealistic expectations that at at some point or another, someone put an unrealistic expectation on us or they put an expectation on us and we interpreted that, um, that needed to apply for everything. Yeah. I don't think it's always, um, I don't, I don't think it's always intentional. No. No, Uh, no, no. You know, I think we, especially as young kids who are influenced heavily by our uh, parents and people who we look up to um Mm -hmm. we we always want to make them feel proud and and so i feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of times even without them saying anything even with them just having a good um and supportive uh demeanor about them i think we a lot of times place that on on ourselves because we think that's how we get to them and we think that's how we uh uh make ourselves accepted you know, mm-hmm. by, by them and by society and by everything. Right. Because we're always holding, and this is um, just a metaphorical example. Like you're always trying to make, always trying to make mom and dad proud, or you'll never be good enough for grandpa's taste or something, or you're always living in your siblings shadows. Right. I think it's all comparative. And I think it's, it's the spotlight. Mm-hmm. I think we always feel like the spotlight's on us and that it's never not on us. It's on us at sometimes like, okay, you need to actually get this done because this is important. And then, okay, now you can relax. Some people, a lot of people think that the spotlight is always on them. And I think that also has to, and I think we're finally having this conversation, especially with millennials, um, you know, starting to go into their forties and stuff. And this, um, these, um, zoomers as they're called these Gen Z are 
uh, we're the old Zoomers, I guess, Gen Z people, of us entering the workforce, starting to enter the workforce and everything. Um, that we're trying, that we're starting to take more stock in what mental health is and what mental health does to people. And I and I love my personal journey. But I just think about how much easier some bumps on the road would have been if someone would have just told me that, you know. And that that's the big thing about this episode, about society, about your neighbors and your friends, that it's okay to not live up to other people's expectations because we all have our own versions of happiness and no one gets to tell you what your version of happiness is, what your version of success is. That's completely up to you and we should, and it's this great change that I see every year, even from when I was in elementary school, that we need to individualize um, education. We need to individualize, just realize the complexity of people and that we're all, we're not cogs in the machine. You know, public education doesn't need to be a, a place where we create these tiny little robots and everyone's treated the same. Like that's not it. And the world has made such great strides towards that, but we can do more. Um, and I just think that's the, the apple of the eye of this episode is that strive for your own happiness. 100%. I mean, that, that is, and should be your definition of success is your own happiness. And it's something that both of us struggle with. And it's mm -hmm. something that we're all learning and we're all trying to navigate as well as trying to be a successful and functional person in society. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard. And every day's, you know, every, every day we're on that journey, but I, I think that's very profound. And that is definitely something that I'm going to carry with me mm -hmm. um, moving forward. Uh, and yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah. Don't strive for your happiness later in lieu of someone else's happiness now. Right. Um, some, you know, and I also... One, one last thing um, before we go into the lovely question of the episode um, is success doesn't have a timeline either because everyone has their own journeys. Everyone has their own experiences and life is hard. Um, and if you want something enough, you keep going for it. Maybe not in the form that you think you originally wanted it, it in, but it comes in different form and at a different time in your life, you know, um, by 40 Samuel Jackson hadn't starred in a movie yet. You know, he wasn't our big blockbuster star. Julia child was working in advertising. Um, Colonel Sanders only became a successful restaurateur after he failed as a lawyer, insurance salesman and tire salesman. 
he came up with the secret recipe when he was 50 years old. Secret recipe. Um, Ray Kroc sold paper cups, was a piano player, and worked as a milkshake multi-mixer salesman before he found a little company called McDonald's at 52. John Pemberton invented Coca-Cola when he was 55. There is no due date for success. Always, always choose happiness. Um, a mentor and teacher of mine always told me that music is a marathon, not a sprint. And I think that's life as well. Life mm -hmm. is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. You have to pace yourself and th things will hold you back. Um, I, I only say this because things have held me back and this is a common story for everybody, but things will hold you back, but always go at your own pace because mm -hmm. the moment you overexert yourself, you're going to fall down and pass mm -hmm. out. Um, but when you do do that, get back up, mm -hmm. get back up and go at your own pace to get your happiness at that at your own finish line, not anyone else's. Mm -hmm. uh, one, a, a couple pieces of advice that I've always loved. Uh, if it's not meant for you, it will not come. Mm. As much as you might think, you know, you like, or this particularly for me in like roles or like auditions, I'm like, oh, I really think I can get this one. Or I felt really, really good. And then I mm -hmm. never hear anything what's not meant for you right now is not going to come. It's just, it won't. So why mm -hmm. worry about it? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it kind of plays into just what's, what's meant to happen will happen. What's meant for you is, is meant for you. It will come. And so you don't necessarily have to worry about the future. You mm -hmm. keep working and one of the things that uh, I'm combating to like not compare myself is the metaphor of just staying in your own lane, just stay mm -hmm. in your own lane, work on bettering yourself and at your own pace, like you said. And there mm -hmm. are other cars that are going to be flying by. There are other cars that you're going to pass, but you do not have to look to your left. You do not have to look to your right. You keep moving forward in your own lane and just worry about what's that those two inches of road in front of you you know mm -hmm. you just keep moving forward with yourself um and just trust just trust yourself trust yourself trust yourself trust yourself uh i i believe in destiny i believe mm -hmm. in fate and i think that's such a powerful thing to have especially in in an artistic field you know what you put into the world is what it will give back to you. So a hundred percent. Yeah. That's so great. Um, Hey, you, you're ready for the question. Oh my gosh. I'm ready. Okay. Here. This was, <laughs> I just want to say like, this was such an amazing episode. I didn't know that I needed this. I didn't know what it was going to be about, but I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really did need this. Thank you so much. I, I, I didn't know what this episode was going to be either. Yeah. Quite, quite honestly. Um, it was all just me sitting gosh just sitting down and 
just kind of be like, God, what did I wish? What do I wish I knew when I was younger about expectations? Yeah. And how fabricated that a lot of expectations are. Yeah. Um, so everyone, everyone listening, um, uh, Callie and I respect everyone's personal journey on this and whatever journey you're on, we support you a hundred percent. Um, and we hope that you're striving for your own happiness. If you have thoughts, questions, anything like that, um, you know, email us broken podcast at gmail.com. You know, our social media is the twitters.com, um, YouTube, Facebook, all of those things. So please let's keep this conversation up. Um, this isn't, this conversation doesn't stop with this podcast. Um, mm. and it shouldn't on to the question of the episode. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think this is good for us to laugh at ourselves a little okay. bit, a little bit. Ready? So the acronym is B M U O S. B M U O S. Best musical. Uh, best is right. Best movie. What's the opposite of clean? Best mess. Okay. Best mess. I know this B- question. <laughs> um, what's the opposite of down? Best, oh, best mess up you've ever, best mess up, wait, OS, OS, best mess up on stage. Yes, also your favorite mess up on stage, something that you can think back and just kind of laugh about. Um, I was doing Grease in high school, and we had a car for, like, the famous drive-in scene, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was like an actual like like a mini car that we like pushed it was onto so cool the stage. it was dope i um, was at the rival high school she and i went to two different high schools and i was so jealous we had the same tech director though for both schools yeah right yeah. um but i was really jealous of that car i was thought that was really really cool it was so cool um i was so i was supposed to like open up the door to like leave danny and like you know whatever and and put the ring on the hood of the car and whatever Mm -hmm. um but i couldn't get it open and so i decided to just hop over the thing because it didn't have windows or anything it's like right so i just decided to like hop out of it and as i'm doing that like my the skirt of my dress went No. And there was just this huge <laughs> rip in the back of my dress. <laughs> it was so no. embarrassing. And so, like, if I had to wear that, I think I had to wear that dress for a couple more scenes before I changed out of it. And I just remember, like, not turning my back to the audience as much as possible. <laughs> like, they're all going to see my spandex and, like, <laughs> just, like, my little, yeah. Uh, There's an extra draft on the stage. How I know. There's a yeah. wind. What was that coming from? Yeah, it's just like that inevitable, like with that noise. You're like that. It. Oh God, that can never be good. <laughs> uh, 
And kind of in the similar vein, I want to tell a hilarious story. It was my freshman year of high school, and we were doing a production of Godspell. Mm. And my good friend Ben was uh, playing. Ben. <laughs> he was playing um, Judas. Yep. And during one of the shows, <laughs> he has a line where he's sitting down on a platform with his, you know, just like in a in a general stance, you know, wide legs, just like to the audience, and he's very like, open to the audience. Yeah, and his line was like this this gaping open wound and he was gesturing like down <laughs> little did he know gaping open wound was gesturing directly to the crotch of his pants being ripped open and <gasps> his underwear just exposed <laughs> so he's just like <gasps> gesturing and he didn't know <laughs> no not at all not until the not until after the show. <laughs> it was just so iconic. That was like an inside joke for the rest of the school year. Just open, gaping wound. Oh, so funny. My God, that's hilarious. So, so funny. I mean, it happens to the best of us. Like it really does. Um, so I'll, I'll provide. I'll, I'll provide two. Okay. My. Uh, so a, as an actor. Um, this was um, many moons ago. I was in a production of The Diary of Anne Frank, and I, I played Otto Frank. Beginning of the show, like first 20 minutes, and character of Otto Frank gathers, you know, the Frank family and the Van Dan family and, and is going over the rules of, what, of what's happening. And there's like a, it's not a bullet point, but it's like there's like... 10 to 15 points that he gets to. I get to like point number three and then nothing. And then, <laughs> you know, cause I'm speaking really soft and everything and being, trying to be as introspective as possible. And then I just stop and slowly everyone who's kind of just looking out like this and looking up and thinking slowly. <laughs> <laughs> slowly cranes their heads with their eyes open more slightly and I play it off as I'm getting choked up <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> in the bathrooms like I was really sad about the bathrooms for some reason <laughs> and is... then, ev then eventually I think I ended up skipping like a half a, a page or something like that, and I just started over again. I I don't think I missed any big thing big in the plot or whatever, but oh my! And I had to stay on stage for like the next hour because the only time I was off stage was at the end of Act One and halfway through Act Two or something. So I had to live with that guilt, you know. You know, they we teach our actors now just if you mess up, let it go. But that that was just. But I was really sad and lethargic that night, like anyone would be in hiding. And, <laughs> and then my second one was when I was um, piano conducting a show. And this show had a lot of up-tempo songs. It was like really, really fun. And then there was like a couple ballads, like two or three ballads or whatever. And the specific song, it's near the end of the show. It's the last um, 
I think last 15, 20 minutes of it. And it's a fast to And right before that was a reprise of the ballad. And so I am think I'm playing, I play it off and then I'm about ready to play and stuff. So left hands on the keyboard, right hands up. And then I conduct in the tempo of the ballad. Oh no. <laughs> but my hand is playing the tempo of the song. <laughs> and so, thank the Lord, it's like a vamp for 30 seconds because you have me on the piano saying, da, 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 and then the guitar and drum going, da, 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 and oh, the bass no. player kind of being like, what's going on and then i was like drop the right hand and then i you know i fixed it or whatever and then our vocal coach um for the show was in the audience and he came up and was like i don't think i've ever been so stressed in my entire (laughs) life (laughs) well thank you everyone for listening to the broken art podcast callie where can they find us uh, you can listen to us anywhere. Uh, we are on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, uh, Breaker, Google, whatever you want. Uh, wherever you get your podcast on. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can at us. You can ask questions using the hashtag BAPOD. That's hashtag B-A-P-O-D. And thank you for all the questions so far. Um... On my end, Callie hasn't seen um, some of the questions I've got via private um, DMs and stuff. And I am so excited to reveal those to her in the next couple of weeks. It's great. Um, Everyone, thank you so much. And as always, take your broken heart, make it into art. See you next week. Goodbye.